been three weeks since we have been dealing with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. Seems like eternity passed. I want to thank those guys who preached for me while I was gone. And then we had the resurrection. And now we will get back into 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22, through chapter 12, verse 4. If you would please follow in the reading of God's Word. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without numbers, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, been dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the cities. Dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is my daily pressure on me on concern of all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led and to sin without my intense concern. If I have to boast, I will boast on what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the Ethriarch, under Eretus, the king is guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall, so escaped his hands. Boasting is necessary, though. It is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a man was caught up in the third heaven. And I know... How such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Father, help us to hear these words today that we may understand a little more about the task that is before us. Father, that we may understand a little more about the urgency of our day. Father, that we may understand that there are so many who are deceived this day. And Father, um, you put them into our lives that we may peel back the deception to show truth. Help us, Lord. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to understand the power of your word, its authority, your spirit being used in your people and the magnificent glory of your church, your bride. Help us, Father. Help it to become a passion of our souls. 
In Christ's name, amen. What we're doing here, and I'm going to kind of do a great big review, I reckon, um, because I started about 25,000 years ago in 1 Corinthians, and uh, now I'm in 2 Corinthians. Um, and what you see was a, a church that was in a, a state of disaster. Uh, it was chaos. And the Apostle Paul, because of his love for the saints, was adamant about trying to get this thing reconciled. It, there was a letter that we have that is before 1 Corinthians. We don't have it. Then we have 1 Corinthians. And if you read 1 Corinthians, that is probably one of the greatest chastening letters that I've ever read. And then we have another letter that's called the severe letter. And I'm sitting there going, well, I read 1 Corinthians. The severe letter must have been a dandy. Okay, because it seems severe to me, 1 Corinthians. And then you have their response and they were coming back to the Apostle Paul. Then you have 2 Corinthians. And that's what we've been going through, 2 Corinthians. And, and basically the essence of it is the restoration of the relationship between the Apostle Paul and the believers in Corinth. That's it in a nutshell. But as he moves into chapter 10, 11 and to the end, you will see that Paul knows that these false accusers, false apostles, and false teachers are still in the congregation. And he knows that. And so he's trying to get the Corinthians to, to pay attention. Okay? Now, you've got to understand, when this letter came, whoever's at the pulpit is going to read this thing to the congregation. All right? Which... <laughs> Well, we talk about an uncomfortable worship service, but but it, it was necessary. One of the things that I have watched in our society today is that we don't want conflict. I don't care how wrong they are; just it's okay. Well, let me tell you something. You got heaven, and you got hell. Okay, you can't get close. All right. And when the error is there, I had a conversation with a guy. He's working on his MDiv, Master of Divinity at Denver Seminary. And they're wanting to do some things on preaching. And, I, and he said, well, we want to know what are the difficult and the controversial texts of the Bible to preach. And so I listened to a room full of pastors, you know, well, you know, the role of a woman and da da da. And you got all the predestination, this, that, and the other. And I, and I stopped and about halfway through and I said, I have a question. And they always hate it when I do that. Is the text controversial or does the society say the text is controversial? Because I ain't never had any problem whatsoever teaching the Bible. And now I haven't really done a lot in the maps. But that one there would probably confuse me because men don't ask for directions. Okay. But other than that, the rest of the Bible I had very little problems with. Okay. But if society is your influence, as was in the Corinth, then when you bring truth to bear, you got your hands full. 
They don't want to hear truth. Absolute truth? Really? Black, white? There's no gray? You see what I'm trying to get at? And, and, and you know, of course, you've seen all these light bulbs come on and everybody's like, oh, what has he just said? Because I don't think any of it's controversial. Okay? It's the Word of God. It is one of these, thus saith the Lord. Now, if I'm living in the world and I don't want to be in the heavenly things, it's controversial. Okay? Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, The false have come in to spy out our liberty. They want to see our freedom. They want to impose on it. Why? Let me get you involved in works. See, the false all want a following. I don't care who it is. It can be a false Sunday school teacher, a false deacon, a preacher, a ministry, whatever you want to call it. They want a following. And yet they pretend to be true. And Jesus said they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Judas Iscariot had nothing but love and affection for 30 pieces of silver. Okay, and I'll be honest with you, that day and age, 30 pieces of silver is a large sum of money. So the Apostle Paul going through here, all of a sudden says, let me show you proof of an apostle. This is an apostle. All right, he started out with the lineage. All right, because a true apostle is Jewish. Sorry. Okay, but they were also called by the resurrected Christ face to face. We've already looked at this. And so he says, here's my credentials. Here says, I am a true apostle. These guys are not true apostles. Okay, now if I want to take the generic term for apostle, then I'll take it and call it a messenger, a sent messenger. A a, a monarch would send out a herald, and that was what you would know as an apostle. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. This is what the king has to say. All right, same thing. It's just like the Ezekiel text. Son of man, sent by God. Here's what you're going to do. All right. Same thing as today. Technically, what I'm doing right now is I'm a messenger. Okay. I do not have the office of an apostle. All right. In case you didn't know, I'm not Jewish. Okay. I was just want to make sure you got that down. Okay. Second, I have not seen the resurrected Christ. All right. And if I did, I'd tell you. Okay, because I'd be intolerable. I know some of you are saying you are now. (laughs) What do you mean would be? Okay. What the Apostle Paul is showing you and me today is that he had all of these dangers because he was an apostle. All right. He had dangers from natural sources, rivers. I mean, you and I don't look at rivers like that. I remember when I came to Colorado, I seen the Platte River, and I was like, we call those creeks. <laughs> that not a river. Because our big thing where I come from was 
did it get cold enough that you could walk across the Ohio River? Okay, because at the place that we would go across it, it was about a mile and a half wide. Okay, so that was, you, is it frozen enough you can walk across that? Okay, because then you're in Kentucky. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then you realize you'd rather be in Ohio. But anyway, <laughs> can, can I get back? All right. But that was a big river. I mean, we, I've seen the Missouri River, the Mississippi River. Those are rivers. I'm sitting there going, yeah, you got like ships, five across, and there's still room. All right. When Paul would come to a river, it wasn't like he was going to get out his little blow up boat and cross it. He had to find out where to cross it. And if it was a flood stage, you ain't getting across it. If it was in the spring, you ain't crossing it. There ain't nowhere to get across it. So you see these natural places. You see people who he had dangers from. Both his Jewish line and the Gentile line. But he also had problems with mobs. The uh, coppersmith. Who uh, Paul was all of a sudden saying you can't have idols. And the coppersmith was losing business. Okay. Mess with a man's income. And watch how nasty he gets. Okay? So I I share these things because you and I, we need to know this. He had problems with being out in this exposure. I mean, among wildlife, robbers. But he also had problems with the false that were doing Satan's work. Now listen. Listen. That's what we've been looking at. That's what we were looking at three weeks ago. And I don't care what anybody says. That is a really strange view of ministry. Okay. This is, yay, you're successful. Look at what we promote today is successful. Have you written a book? Have you been published? Did anybody buy it? I guess that's the the big question. Look at what we... Do you have a television show? Do you have a radio show? Look at what we today say, this is a successful ministry. How many can walk around and say, I bear on my body the marks of Christ? How many people can say, I don't sleep at night because of the things of Christ? How many people will say, you know, I need to read my Bible today, but I slept in a little while. I need to go look for a job or I need to go find something to do or I've got to go to work. And so I'll just slide that aside. How many people look at Christ today as is it convenient? Verse 27, I have been in labor and hardships through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. I mean, 22 through 26 is bizarre. Beaten? I've beaten with rods. I've been imprisoned. Shipwrecked. You know, you know what we would say? 
Perhaps you should find another line of work. Perhaps you need to do something different. You have what had from his external parts. And then in verse 27, you see that that is his own struggles. He uses a term here. He uses it a lot. Labor and hardship. Okay. And it deals with one's work. Okay. Copus means to work to exhaustion. Marcos means to in prolonged difficulty. That's the two words that he uses here. Labor and hardship. It means long-term, relentless, unending difficulties of life. Huh. Just trying to exist. Anybody think they've got that problem? It's unrelenting. It never ceases. Why? You still got to have food. You still got to have shelter. Right? And that's what he's saying. Not only am I being beaten, not only have I been whipped by lashes of the Jews and stoned and shipwrecked, dangers in rivers, dangers of robbers, dangers of my countrymen, dangers in the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among the false brethren. I still have to work. Just to exist. Just to exist. Same phrase he uses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Because he would labor in hardship. Same phrase. Same phrase. Labor in hardship. Why? As not to be a burden to the congregation. He earned his living. Working with leather. Basically making tents. He sewed leather hides together to make a tent. And he had that that he had to do on top of the list of the suffering that you see 22 through 26. Pain and suffering. He was paying his own way even through the middle of his pain and suffering. To do that, now think about this for a second. To do that as well as preach and minister everywhere he went. I want you to think about it. Because I, 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 you've, you've got to keep the focus here of the context. Because the context of this is, here's what the false do. Here's what the true do. All of a sudden it starts becoming a very clear picture to me. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 8. Same two words, and he said that in labor and hardship, day and night. Why? I don't want you to depend. I don't have to depend on you guys. He didn't want infant churches to support him. He didn't want the infant church to think that he was doing it for the money. I have people that I have talked to in this community who came and they say, in Castle Rock, we did a demographic study and we can see that the economy of Castle Rock can afford more churches. 
Not only that, I know a church plant that's about two years old and they've decided that there's more money in the meadows because they're in Founders right now and they're going to start a campus in the meadows. But I'm not here for the money. Huh. So in verse 27, you see that he labored in hardships and through many sleepless nights. Up all night. Why? Because he had to work. Listen, if he was preaching during the day, he still has to make a living. When's he going to do that? At night. Okay, if he was working it during the day, then what's he going to do at night? We call it Bible studies. He had to work all day and he preached. He worked at night to support himself. And you know what? If you really look at all the text that deals with this working at night, you realize that he was supporting his whole entourage. What he was doing, making these tents, was able to meet the needs of everybody that was with him, whether it was Silas and Barnabas or Titus or Timothy or whoever was with him. He was making enough money that they could survive. He could earn a living for his traveling companions. In Acts 20, one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture, he preached all night. They had eight breakfast together, and he began preaching right after breakfast. And he went till midnight. And I'm like, yeah! Why? He was full. And he wanted to spill everything he had to the people who were listening to him. There was a young man who fell out of the window three stories up and died. But Paul says, my message isn't done. Went down, raised him from the dead, come up. I'm not finished. And you know what? Everybody was paying attention. 24-hour service. I watched a three-hour service where there was messages and then they would sing and then there would be messages and they would sing and there would be messages and they would sing for three hours. And everybody stood shoulder to shoulder, packed in this place like sardines. And they stood for three hours. Try that. You just sitting there going, wow, you guys got this figured out. All right. And it was a little difficult for me because I had an interpreter trying to, what do you say? <laughs> so, and then when it got to the music, I don't care. <laughs> Listen, a three hour service or a one hour service, a 24 hour service, all it is is the shepherd's realization that they need to feed very hungry sheep. And then he had to go and work with his hands. Now listen, that's tough. Get proper rest if you're preaching all day and teaching all day. Or you got a 24-hour worship service. Or if you're trying to build tents all day and then teach all night. How are you going to get your proper amount of rest? I read a quote from Linsky on this. I think it's very, very appropriate quote. 
Guess it worked out because God never intended for him to live a long natural life of old age. Unquote. I don't care if you don't get no sleep, Paul. We're going to get this thing done. Verse 27 says, he also had hunger and thirst. There was times when he didn't have enough to eat or drink. Didn't have enough to keep him warm. Often without food. In cold and exposure. He was lacking what you and I would call the essentials. Back up to chapter 11, verse 9. When I was present with you and I was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. Even when he was in the church in Corinth and was going hungry, the Macedonians brought him what he needed. And he never mentioned it to the Corinthians that he was in need. Let me tell you something, people. This is a shepherd. And if you've got less than that, you've been cheated. You have absolutely been cheated. Okay, it says without food, and I hear a lot of people want to get... (laughs) He was fasting. I remember a guy came in one time and had been in jail for... uh, He had stepdaughters and had... uh, Sexually abused both of them. He'd been in jail for it. And he came to my office. He'd, he'd been released from jail. His his wa- wife, I don't know if they ever got married. But anyway, they had left. The family had left. And he said, uh, I just got out of jail. I said, yeah. And he said, uh, did you hear what I did? And I said, yeah. And he says, you know, I, I feel real bad about it. And I said, I bet you do. And uh, he said, uh, can I ask you a favor? And I said, what's that? He says, can you give me some money so I can go get a sandwich? I looked him right straight in the eyes, just calm as I am right now. And I said, I think God wants you to fast. Now, I've had some people say, well, that was mean. Really? I had walked with this family for about five years. He has no idea how mean I wanted to be. <laughs> Okay. That's the kind of see see people say, well, you went without food. Well, maybe God. Well, you know what? In this case, Paul was just in a place that he didn't have no food, nor did he have the ability to generate cash to make food. Listen, there's only one place in the New Testament that get this, because I deal with people on a regular basis. that says, well, you know, at the first of the year, you're supposed to fast. Really? Why? <laughs> I mean, just a question. My my Bible says give thanks and eat. Okay? I mean, there's one place in the entire New Testament the Apostle Paul fasted. Acts 13, you can go look it up. And he was with all the pastors in Antioch. And they were all fasting. And the Holy Spirit picks Paul and Barnabas. To go on a missions trip. Other than that, you ain't going to find it. It's not in there. He was being set apart. And you know what? There is no record anywhere in Scripture that Paul ever fasted again. 
Okay? Now, there were some times when he ran out of money that he didn't have nothing to eat. But that's not really fasting. So here's a man who doesn't have enough money to buy his food, and he's cold. And at the end of his life, I want you to think about this. The last letter that he ever wrote was 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.13. Okay, he's in the Mamatine prison, probably. Okay, getting ready to lose his head. And he tells Timothy to bring him his cloak. He didn't have his coat with him. Okay, listen, he wasn't traveling with a wardrobe, people. Get your head wrapped around this. We, we haven't, I've watched. Pastor, uh, I went to Baku for 10 days, okay? And it all fit in one little bag. And it was suits. And everybody said, well, how'd you get them in there? Well, you know, I got like two jackets and 14 pairs of pants. No, <laughs> I think I had four pairs of pants and uh, some underwear. Okay, I only take one pair of socks and I throw them away when I get on the plane. But anyway, just kidding. Everybody's like, what? <laughs> but, hey. I don't carry that much. Why? I don't want to have to keep track of it. People say, well, why don't you take other people to to Russia or to these? You know, I love you guys. I don't want to keep track of you. Okay, if things go south, I do better if I'm taking care of me. All right. And in Russia right now, they hate Americans. Right? In Baku, it's all Muslims. So you know I'm cherished there. Okay? So see what I'm trying to get at? It's not that, you know, if you're, if you're self-sufficient, that if it all goes south and you ain't got nothing but you, can you handle it? And it's not that I'm this expert survivalist. It's just that it's easier to keep track of where my butt is than it is other people's butts. He didn't travel with a wardrobe. He had only his necessities, his bare existence, what he could take care of. You know what? And I guarantee you it would embarrass us who suffer so little for the ministry of the gospel and what is our faith. What is our faith? I had a $100 bill and that kid that has a CP. He ain't got a job. Very effective in the church. I, you can see it. I mean, you know, the I'd been in the church, see, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. They said that he had no income and the church can't afford to pay him. And I walked up and I gave him a $100 bill. And you'd have swore I just gave him a bar of gold. Because a hundred dollar bill will buy him groceries and his wife groceries for two months. Okay? And they are living on the bare necessities. And they all are. I shared with you the guy who had the broken jaw. Had a broken jaw and had gathered with all the pastors of 21 pastors in the country. And they were all going to collect money so that they could send him to a doctor to get his jaw fixed. They got me a flag in my office as a Bajani flag. 
anywhere I preach, I try to get a flag of the country I preached in. So people ask me, what are these flags for? And that's, that's why. And they give me one. What is our faith, people? We say we love truth. But do you think about it? And, and you have to forgive me. I'm a little tainted right now. And I will be for <laughs> this millennium. I watch people who suffer for their faith. Okay? And I listen to Christians and what they complain about. And I sit there and go, what? Now, you, you have to have compassion. <laughs> but some sheep are just stupid. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, golly, you know what? You took that shovel and dug a ditch and you can't figure out why you're in a ditch. Quit shoveling. Okay? You know, a church of 10 people. 10 people has been raided every Sunday for seven months. And they're trying to make them nervous and uneasy. Okay? So they will quit meeting. Okay? And every Sunday they show up and run them all off. What would we do? Well, it's too hot to go to church. Well, I think it's too cold to go to church. I think it's too nice to go to church. It's too sunny to go to church. Really? What would you do if the cops came in and harassed you and checked your ID every time you met for worship? And we complain. And I look at the Apostle Paul and he says, we had times when we were hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. What is our faith? When we look at a true, pure apostle, he should be measured by his power against the kingdom of darkness. And that will be seen by the level of persecution. The level of persecution. The man who endures suffering. The man who endures persecution because of invading the kingdom of darkness. He will have personal suffering. Why? He sold out to the ministry. How many, I, I would be curious to know right now, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. How many of you are sold out to the person of Christ? There's nothing in your life that is more important than the person of Christ. Because I got news for you. The persecution and suffering's coming. And what you're committed to will shine brightly. True servant of God throughout histories are not fat cats. Okay? Not the ones that are in a high, those that you see in a high levels of wealth or comfort or prosperity. Why? The false don't suffer. The false will compromise. The false are no different than a politician. What do you want to hear? 
Okay, uh, the ladies are studying the book of Judges. There's a prophet in the book of Judges, Micah, nice guy. You take care of him, you give him food, you give him shelter, he'll give you whatever idol you want to worship. He'll tell you anything you want to hear. And you know what? What do we got today? Let me encourage the people. Encourage the people. How is that? Well, your sin's not actually a sin. It's just a moral challenge. Listen to us. Listen to what we do. Presbyterians USA have decided that they will now condone homosexual marriage and gays in the ministry. Why? It's the move of the society. Is it? The men's group that meets on Thursdays was reading the uh, eighth chapter of Romans. Romans eight eighteen. The Apostle Paul says this, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, I want you to think about something. You, you read that. We, we like to share that. If we're dealing with someone who's in a hard spot, we'll share that with them. Okay? When the Apostle Paul writes that, this letter, do you know where he's at? He's in Corinth. His third trip back. Okay? And he's getting ready to leave Corinth to try to get to Rome after he goes through Jerusalem. Right? He's been there twice. His third trip back, he writes the letter to Romans. All right? So when he writes, I consider the sufferings of this present time not to be worthy to compare to the glory that will be revealed to us. He's not just saying something because it sounds foofy. He's saying, I live this. I ain't just saying it. So if you're getting ready to use this verse to encourage a poor, downtrodden brother or sister? Better ask yourself a question. You walk this? Because you could be tested. He knew and he lived for this glory. His eternal weight of glory, amazingly, in all of his suffering, you know what? His faith was never diminished. Not only was it not diminished, it was completely opposite. Paul's suffering was strengthening his faith. Later in that chapter, verse 35 Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? What will separate? Let me tell you something, brothers. I've been through all this. There ain't nothing going to separate it. That's amazing. When he writes this, you think about where he has already been and where he is headed. And you sit there and go, this dude ain't writing something down that he ain't walking. He had been through it all. And you know what he said? It's never separated me. In fact, in all of these things, what does he say? 
we are more overwhelmingly conquerors. Mega conquerors. So that's amazing to me because I, I, I love Romans 8. I take great comfort from Romans 8. Because when, when you read it, you realize that you're just an earthen vessel and let's rock and roll this thing. <laughs> okay, I'm, let's, let's get her done. Okay? And, and you read it. And yeah, um, people are going to make fun of you. Uh, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be laughed at. Um, you know, I've been called. How can you be that stupid? Okay, I, I mean, I can go on with a list and list and list of what people have called me because, uh, you know, because I remember the badge of honor I wear now. A lady looked at me one time. She says, you've become a Bible thumper. Right on. I've arrived. I've done made her. <laughs> okay. But, but do you understand what I'm trying to get at? We are more than conquerors. And the suffering of this life, really? For what? And we're, let's be realistic. Are we really suffering for Jesus? Really? Now, I did suffer from Frankfurt to Detroit. I had a three-year-old right behind me who screamed for eight hours and 11 minutes. And that, that, I don't know what that was all about, but lordy, lordy, lordy. You know, lady, they've got overhead compartments. <laughs> Slam dunk that little bugger up there. <laughs> he to shut up. <laughs> well, that's all I could say. I mean, gee whiz, it was hideous. I mean, it, and it was, Woo! and you're like, at what point do you run out of lung? <laughs> but anyway, that's suffering for Jesus. Because I hadn't slept and uh, I still have. As soon as I hear a child go, eh, it's back. <laughs> proof of a true apostle, proof of a true messenger, proof of a true servant is their suffering for Christ. Now, listen, I'm going to give you a little footnote on this really quick. Okay. There are times that we bring about our own suffering. Okay, that is not suffering for Christ. Okay, I I just want you to know that. And I want to make it adamant that you understand that you do something stupid, stupid, you will receive. Okay, and you you can say, well, I was suffering for Christ. Christ ain't that stupid. Okay, I'm talking about suffering for Christ. You know, when I when I was in Baku, they told me, do you have any religious books? And I said, yeah, I, you know, I take when you go to a country that you can't hear, understand the language or read the little bars that go across, the, you take books. <laughs> so, you know, look, I don't know what that is. But anyway, so I took books. They said, well, you need to hide them. I said, what do you mean I need to hide them? Well, put them back in your luggage, put them in your cupboard or your closet or, or under your nightstand or whatever. Because if you've got them laying out and they understand that they're Christian, you will be visited by the police. And you're like, wait a minute. So I got one that's called Comfort from the Upper Room. Oh, you better hide that one. They don't know what an upper room is. (laughs) So I hit it. I'm not stupid. (laughs) I mean, 
It just, you know, if someone says, you're going to be visited by the police, I have a policephobia. And I, it just doesn't do well. And I just, all right, I'll hide it. <laughs> I'll take a marker and black it out so nobody can see a thing. All right, but, but you think about this kind of stuff. Um, I wasn't allowed to have my Bible out. I had, you know, instead of, walk, I was about a half a block away from the church, from, from my hotel. And I could not walk with my Bible in my hand to the church. I had a backpack and I'd throw it in the backpack and I'd take it over there. Okay, because I had to walk right past the Iranian embassy. <laughs> Yee! <laughs> Everybody's friendly around here, ain't you? Um, listen, suffering of, of an apostle is still the truest evidence of devotion to Christ. Okay? Um, it's not how rich that you are or how, how published you are or how much money you've gotten through the ministry or how much money you've raised or anything like that. It is how sacrificial you are. Okay, and now listen, sacrifice means I'm giving to the point of pain. I, I use the illustration, you've got a 53 Volkswagen and you've got a 2015 Mercedes Benz. Which one is the sacrifice? Don't give me, well, the Volkswagen is so important. No, I ain't buying that and that dog don't hunt. Okay? That's the difference. It's sacrificial. Listen, the false will not sacrifice for anything. The false are in it for themselves. What will I get out of this? Next week, I'll show you the experience of sympathy. Father, we come today to worship you. And I thank you for my brother, Paul. I thank you for the time that you gave me. Um, you have given me with him, uh, Father. And the extraordinary time that I had with him while I was in Azerbaijan. Lord, you still amaze me. Your ways are not my ways. <laughs> I am. I stand in all that you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what any of us could ever think or imagine. Thank you, my King. Thank you, my Lord. You've got to laugh at us at times. I'm sure that you weep it for us at times. But Father, help us. Help us to understand the urgency of the day. Father, the valley of dry bones that are around us. And Father, may we with great patience and love, and mercy, continue to try to preach and proclaim, prophesy over these dead bones, Lord, that you would breathe life into them and restore them to the fullness of life. Thank you, my King. Thank you, my Lord. In Christ's name, amen.